May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. Today's scripture is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to breaking bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together, and all had things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. For those of you who've known me for a while now, you know that I occasionally cry while preaching or praying, not necessarily on purpose, but I know that there are a few things that tend to trigger me. Those things do include our opening hymn, Born and Cry. They do include the baptism of one of my children. (laughs) And I expect some tears will come today. They also come when I'm feeling sad, and we'll talk about that too this morning. And my goal for this Sunday service was to share a simple, short, and sweet reflection on the nature of baptism. As someone who does uniquely get to wear two hats this morning, that of both being a pastor and a parent. I will still offer that reflection today, though not without wearing a third hat as well, which is that of a weary, lamenting prayer and worship leader who's just so sad and disheartened and tired amidst yet another act of domestic terrorism occurring in our country, of gun violence and hatred that now finds 10 people dead in Buffalo, New York. For those who missed this somewhat late-breaking story, it occurred yesterday afternoon. An 18-year-old male gunman drove a few hours downstate to Buffalo to a predominantly black community, on purpose, as a manifesto that was released has stated, decked out in tactical gear and assault rifles and opened fire at a grocery store, killing 10 people, live streaming the event, and releasing a manifesto stating that this was done purposely because white people are being replaced in this country. It's a manifesto that is filled with anti-Semitism and racist remarks. It's filled with what I would describe as a lot of fear and anger. Unfortunately, we are in a pattern of often talking about this as a country and as a church community. And today I found myself thinking about um, a visiting professor who came to, the, to my seminary after one of these attacks. His name's Ibu Patel. He wrote a book called Acts of Faith. Now, 
What's helpful to know about Ibu Vital is that he is an American Muslim leader. He started an organization called Interfaith Youth Corps. The whole hope was to bring people of different faith traditions together to dialogue, to reflect, to share in community service so that they would feel the bonds of connection not only across their differences, but within their differences, seeing that diversity can be a beautiful thing. Ibu Patel wrote a book called Acts of Faith in which he opens by sharing the portrait of a young male shooter, a type very similar to what we saw yesterday. And he had this question that, that has stuck with me for all of these years, and it's something that I often think about in times like these. He, he says that this work of his is a book about how some young people become champions of religious pluralism and compassion and welcome and community, while others seem to become foot soldiers of total, totalitarianism or of anger or of hate. And my thesis is simple, he writes. Influences matter. Programs count. Mentors make a difference. Institutions leave their mark. When we look back in the lives of young religious terrorists, we find a web of individuals and organizations that shaped them. These young killers, he says, are not, for the most part, dramatically damaged or deranged individuals. They are kids who fell into manipulative hands. And every time we see a teenager kill someone in the name of God, we should picture a pair of shadowy hands behind them showing them how to make the bomb. Or how to point the gun. Teaching them how to say words of prayer while carrying out these heinous acts of violence. And it's then that we should ask, why weren't the hands of these people, why weren't the hands of the people who cared about compassion and welcome and diversity shaping this young individual instead of those hands of anger and hate? Where were the people who were whispering words of love and grace into their ears? I bring this up because for me on the morning of baptizing my youngest daughter, it's one of the only connections that I can think about and feel and make this morning. How we are striving to be a community that shapes young people in love and welcome and peace and justice. And that whatever sad trajectory Whatever angry trajectory or fearful trajectory led this young man down this path. I wish that there were churches like this, or teachers like some of ours, or mentors in this person's life that could have pulled this person out of whatever spiral into disinformation or hatred that could lead someone 
to travel across a state to shoot and kill people you don't even know? Where were the words and promises of love that should have been written deeply into this person's heart and mind? Now, I don't know. That in, in the case, there are still details emerging. There are things we don't know. Some of the details that I shared may yet even prove wrong this morning. In some 12 years after hearing this lecture, it is also true that the world has changed and is more complicated now. Individuals can choose to seek out words of hate in new and different ways. People have more agency to go down these spirals, these paths of anger. But even before then, there are still teachers and churches and community centers and mentors and leaders intersecting the lives of these people. And today, as we discuss the ritual of baptism, as we prepare to talk about this promise of being made and known and loved by God and of being supported by a community. I, I urge us in a world of hate and violence to see how important these words and promises matter. People need to be loved and welcomed. They need that security at times to stay tethered in a world that is filled with deeply troubling information and stories. When anyone within a few clicks can find their way down a whole rabbit hole of anger, what is to keep young people tethered to goodness, to love, to grace, in some ways to the reality that we all depend on each other? that we are all sharing this world together. I wanted to keep things short and simple and sweet this morning, but we don't not talk about these things as a community because this is not right. This shouldn't be happening. And these young folks who find themselves on this type of trajectory towards anger and hate and violence they need more people in their lives to speak up, to speak out, and often to embrace them and help them find a place for their anger. That is why it is so important that we carry out these rituals, something like a baptism. We talk about and pray about the love of God all the time, but it is within these rituals that we practice that love into being. It is within church communities like this that we make that love visible and tangible. As 1 John writes, how can we say that we love the God whom we cannot see and yet despise the siblings among us who we can see? In other words, it is by learning to love our brothers, our sisters, our siblings, our neighbors, those like us, those different than us, it is in practicing this love that we can actually find a way to sincerely embrace the love of God. This is where it is made tangible. This is where we practice. And if we cannot do that, how will we ever know if we are standing in that first promise of God's love, which claims us from the start?
I titled this sermon, The Second Promise, intending to come here this morning to reflect on how I am changing in my understanding of the sacrament of baptism as a parent who's now seeing my child grow up into the church. And I will share a few words about that here in a moment. But it is the second promise. The first promise is the love of God that names us and knows us. That is the heart of this ritual. God's naming, knowing, and loving us from the start. Phyllis will help ask us those questions. But then Phyllis will turn to the community and ask this community if we will promise to love and support and nurture Renee along her own life's development. That's the second promise that we make here. The promise of a communal embrace. It is a lifelong promise and project that we strive to play out together. And that second promise, it's the one that we feel in tangible ways. It's the one that right now has my daughter out there with adult volunteer Sunday school teachers and children who are older and younger than her. It's the promise that right now is enfolding her in community. That's the second promise that in some ways is the first when it comes to what we experience. God is this abstract thing that my daughter will eventually grow up to wrestle with and struggle with and think about, pray about. But before she can really put her mind around that, she will know what it means to be loved by this church. And now delightfully as well, I'm finding that we as parents are getting to experience that too. And for most of, of my life, trying to bring our, our kids to church, it's been kind of a chore. Now many of you know and, and love and embrace our redheaded, fireball, energetic little daughter out there. Have seen her run around, <laughs> have heard her run around. When we first started bringing here, you know, she was, she was an infant. And there was really no way that she could do what she's doing now. It, she stayed with us. And if she had a diaper change or if she needed a bottle, we'd figure that out. And then the pandemic started, and we were at a distance for a long time. And then suddenly, just this past fall and this spring, as, as Avery is now three and now as of Friday, four, Suddenly, we find that all of those promises we will be making this morning and that this scripture vision of the church sharing all things in common, suddenly we find that she is a part of that story. She's not just a child that I'm holding while trying to, to shape that community into being alongside of you. She's in there. That is that second promise being made into reality. And for my wife, Laura, and I, we kind of realized last fall and this spring, oh my gosh, the church is kind of like an asset for our family now. <laughs> you already were in so many ways, let me be clear. But previously, it was just a lot of work trying to figure out how to have this little baby, high-energy child with us. And now, this is a wonderful way to engage and support her on a Sunday morning, 
where she is known by adults and peers. This is a fantastic thing for my child. And again, I come back to the pain at that top of that story. Why can't everyone have that experience? In a moment here, we will move to share in this ritual of baptism. We will make promises together once again as a community, promises that will hopefully stick with us and guide us all throughout our lives, even as this community changes and goes, even as there are new births and there are new deaths within this community. We will continue to do our best to live into this shared promise of making the love of God visible and tangible for those among us, knowing that each of us are touchstones on the lives and hearts and developments of one another, of our youngest, of our oldest, and our in-betweenest. And that matters. That echoes and ripples throughout the world. We see it in the hands and minds and hearts and lives of those who have experienced waves and waves of welcome, and we see its absence, similarly, though, in those who see an expanding circle of more people and worry that they are being replaced. But love and welcome do not have to be a scarce resource. They are multipliers. And as we draw the circle wild, wider, there is more and more room for love and for welcome and community. There is more room for people who can know you by name, welcome you in person. It is a gift that we all have to share. And in some ways, as a church, it is our sacred gift to continue to put that out into a world that is filled with messages of fear, of anger, of violence, and suspicion. Our gospel, our scripture, our teacher, our guide, in the face of diversity, in the face of difference, says, welcome. You are named and known and loved. And that is a message that needs to repeatedly be preached and ritualized and prayed for and enacted in little classroom moments. These promises matter. They matter to me as a parent. They matter to me as a pastor. And I know that they matter to each of us as those who are making those promises and striving to live into them. So, as we move towards this baptism, know that these promises are reciprocal. Know that as you promise to love and support and encourage our little Renee, that you are building the very communal embrace that will be for you, here for you every Sunday in turn, and every day of the week, of course. Also know that these promises are lifelong promises. They are promises that we remember and think about and reflect upon here in these moments. They are promises that we reflect upon Saturday at Fran Bell's memorial service as we remember the founding member of our church and celebrate her life and grieve her loss. 
These are, prep, these are promises that go with us our whole lives long. And third, as a pastor and parent here, or as a parent and pastor here, I also want to just say thank you. Thank you for being here for our daughters. For being here, for being here, for being the people that I can whip off a prayer email at 11 p.m. at night because our daughter is up again with an ear infection and I just need someone to know about it and pray about it for me. Thank you for being the community that is making this second promise real for us. So today, we come with both heavy hearts, but also delighted hearts. Hearts that look sincerely at a world filled with pain, but also hearts that look sincerely at this beautiful visual outside of a group of children sitting in a circle together, learning about love and welcome and peace. This is the world that we live in and the world that we nurture our young people in. And so I hope we embrace all of the responsibility and joy and weight that comes with it. And so today, let us celebrate life and joy and beauty even as we pray and lament. And let us ultimately continue to do what that very early church in Acts did, which is to build community spaces where people can be raised with love and in love and for love for all people. If we do so, we will fulfill that second promise and we will point towards the first. And that's really all we can do on this day is to love and to continue to act and work for a world where love is the story far often than lament. Will's going to help lead us into our responsive hymn and move us into the time of this ritual. And again, as we move here again, I say as a parent and as a pastor, thank you for helping us to make and keep these promises together. Amen. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.